a new recording session and episode of the Life Science Gets Together podcast, Beginner's Mind. Um, today we are talking about um, how early stage projects get funded. In my opinion, we are living in the best times ever with a level of technology and also a level of international collaboration that is simply astonishing. Also, when I look on the stock market, um, on the most recent gains, I just did a little bit of research for the podcast recording and um, came across ARC Funds, Katie Woods ARC Funds, and she was awarded last year the title Stock Picker of 2020 with 200% uh, gains in just one year, which is, uh, yeah, I've never seen that before in, uh, in that height. And three of her funds performed that well. And the reason why they performed that well is that she was absolutely right with her picks. Her funds are basically focused on technology. Um, for example, genomic sequencing is one part, gene editing, um, we all heard of SARS-CoV-2, I think, meanwhile, and uh, this technology, the pharmaceutical industry basically makes possible that the industry can develop vaccines in just one year. Uh, we never had that before. Also, she was right with uh, digital pets, artificial intelligence, robotics, uh, energy storage, and all that just took off last year, and they expect that it also will continue in the coming years. But the thing is, a lot of this technology starts basically on university level where the funding is fine. Uh, once the scientific part of these inventions that later on produce tremendous gains, uh, once that is done, we need to move them into companies. And this is the tricky part in the industry, in all industries that are tech-focused. Uh, nobody wants to fund that because the risk is very high, the rate of failure is astonishing high, and always the question is, how can we solve that? And one program in Europe exists that gives, in my opinion, a little bit support in that field. It's called Horizon Europe. It was called Horizon 2020 or some sort of framework program in the past. And I'm not a real expert in that. So to shine a little, little bit of light on the funding situation in the early stages of innovation, I asked two of my friends and experts in the field uh, to support me and uh, to help me gaining more insight into these funding schemes. And uh, on the show today, I welcome Kimberly Cornfield from the UCL. Hello, Kimberly. Hi, Christian. And on the phone, we have Michael Brown from Crowd Helix, also from London. Hello, Michael. Hello, Christian. Pleasure to be here. Thank you. Pleasure to hear you. Uh, Kimberly, maybe we start, and Kimberly and Michael, maybe we start with a brief introduction where you're coming from, who you are, and what organizations you represent. And then we move on to uh, the topic of today. Kimberly, maybe you uh, move first. That's great. Well, thank you very much for having us here. It's always great to, to connect with you and your network. So I'm, I'm head of European Research and Innovation at University College London. So we're based in London, um, right in the city. Uh, we are <coughs> is, uh, London's global university. I'm responsible for our European-funded portfolio of research and innovation. We're a very unique team of 15 people that are solely focused on helping our academics um, access uh, funding from now Horizon Europe. 
Um, we've helped secure over 400 million in funding just for UCL's part of, of research funding from this program over the last seven years. Um, now with the a confirmation that the UK will be associating to the next program. Um, we're getting uh, ready for the upcoming calls and we have a, a number of support services that we offer really to help um, academics and businesses connect and um, bid together on these types of funding programs. That's great, Kimberly. Many thanks. Michael, Michael what, what is CrowdHelix? <laughs> Thanks, uh, Christian. So, uh, a pleasure to be here today, and thank you for the invitation. Um, so, yeah, CrowdHelix is a network and a platform-based uh, technology company uh, that profiles uh, organizations and people within organizations and then matches their profiles and, and link by linking them to opportunities to collaborate, mainly on international uh, large-scale projects. So one of our focus areas is uh, the Horizon program, which uh, has recently, uh, so the, the last Horizon program uh, finished at the back end of last year, which was called Horizon 2020. And the latest uh, framework program or Horizon program uh, starts this year and will be officially launched in the next few weeks. And it will be running for um, uh, about seven years with a, with a big a whopping budget of uh, nearly 100 billion, that's with a B, uh, euros of funding for for seven years, and our, our one of our main focuses at Crowd Helix is to help to uh, link uh, researchers and innovators uh, from universities and businesses across different sectors, again across different domains, uh, across different regions uh, to do collaboration. So, as you said at the beginning of your podcast, uh, there is um, you know a fast acceleration. Uh, which doesn't it's not going to be slowing down in in, in any uh, time soon towards enhanced collaboration and open innovation. And um, what we're trying to do is make it easier for people to connect, to be made visible, uh, and to collaborate. And I think particularly with the uh, pandemic that we've experienced in the last year, it's a lot more difficult for people now to meet up physically. So there is an increasing reliance on technology in order for people to be connected in order to do collaboration. And as we all know, over the last year, there is an, an ever-increasing need for people to collaborate in order to innovate, to solve the, the pressing uh, societal and industrial challenges that we're all facing, and COVID-19 being a, a very good and recent example of that. Thanks, Michael. I completely agree with what you say. Uh, I also don't see innovation slowing down, and I also don't see the need of us humans, human beings to, um, let's say, get technology averse uh, anytime soon. Mm -hmm. uh, it's also from what I read on the stock market, it's pretty much the same opinion. Uh, we are, I mean, Jeff Bezos always uh, said it uh, right from 1995, it's always day one. So we are still in day one of technology. Mm -hmm. And um, the reports I read recently just say um, that, uh, probably they, ex they still expect an exponential move upwards, maybe with some ups and downs. Uh, so my question is, you mentioned both um, Horizon programs and innovation. What are the Horizon programs all about? Who's <laughs> <Choose> that too? 
Who oh, wants shall to? I start? <laughs> Kimberly, get started. I'll start, okay, Michael. Okay. You can you can um, sure. pick up what I missed. Okay. Um, so the program is really to support uh, excellent research and also have an impact. Um, support the sustainable development goals. Support businesses and help Europe um, sort of tackle its environmental challenges, um, in particular the climate and energy challenges. Um, as well as have a societal and economic impact, create jobs. Previous funding programs, these European funding programs, had a, a, a quite a lot stronger emphasis um, on the earlier stages of research um, from Horizon 2020 and now into Horizon Europe. We're seeing a more focus on um, an emphasis on impact and innovation. Um, and that, that elements mean that we really need to be um, universities more engaged with businesses to be successful in the funding. So Horizon Europe is set up around four main pillars, um, excellent science, global challenges and industrial uh, competitiveness for Europe, as well as um, innovation, which and it's underpinned by widening participation. So there's emphasis on more collaboration with the EU 13 countries. And I think um, for businesses and investors, the, the three main uh, areas of interest will be really to watch what's happening in the excellent science pillar, because um, that's where a lot of uh, new novel research is being funded. In terms of participation, I would say have a you know look at these clusters, um, which are under this pillar two of global challenges, and the main one for businesses will be really in this um, third pillar for uh, European. Innovation. That's a great overview, uh, Kim. I think the only thing that I'd really add would be that the, the key, I think, for the EU is really so it's the biggest funding, research and innovation funding program in the world. Um, so lots of opportunity. I think it's fair to say that the program itself, it's, it looks very attractive because there's a lot of money invested in it. Uh, you know, 100 billion euros is is a serious amount of um, research and invest, research and innovation investment. I think the complexity comes when it's like, what do I do next? How do how do I get involved? How do I succeed in this? And um, it's there where like organisations and, and departments like Kimberley's and Crowd Helix come into play to try and mm. make it easier for people to navigate that. But I think. The a, a lot big focus for the EU is, as, as Kim said, is linked to big policy, societal um, and global challenge drivers, sustainable development goals play an, a, an important role. Um, and uh, when you go through the design of Horizon Europe, there, there is a kind of logic to it, at a very high level, and then it's trying, and then you know from where the policies are being set and the, the calls that are being designed, and then it's then just trying to navigate your way as an organisation and as an individual or, or as a business, and to find your way into that big matrix system and say, right, actually, how do I, how can I get involved, and how can I benefit from this. That's great. Let's uh, stay maybe before we dive into how you can succeed in this um, in these programs. Maybe we stay a little bit longer mm -hmm. uh, with the basics. Um, I heard two terms in the last years. Uh, it was one. It was Horizon 2020, and I always thought 2020 is far away. Now we have 2021, and then also Horizon Europe, where you mentioned we have a hundred billion dollar scheme, and I think we have all to refigure or. or 
remodel our understanding of big big numbers. I always thought 100 billion is a lot, and then the US uh, came up with two 1.9 trillion um, programs in the last year, and also the European Union, I think, uh, agreed on 1.8 trillion uh, recovery plans. Uh, so there is a lot of money flooding, <laughs> flooding the market. But for our audience, what is the difference between Horizon 2020 and Horizon Europe? Well, maybe I think what will be of most interest um, to the listeners here is really the introduction of the European Innovation Council. So uh, for the last 10 years, we've had a very successful European Research Council funded, which is funding very novel, excellent science. They're very prestigious awards. And we've, we've had UCL itself has hosted over 200 ERC uh, grantees, and it's an area we've been really strong what the what's coming out from the last program is really to create something quite similar for innovation and that's where the European Innovation Council has come from and so it's to create sort of a sister program but more on the innovation closer to market side this offers 10 billion uh, euros over the next seven years with the main focus being on businesses uh, small and medium-sized enterprises it's grant funded uh, for the majority of it. There's also, um, uh, there's three main pillars in this, which look at funding deep tech uh, science and collaborations. There's one, one element of this that'll be just specific for businesses and it offers both grant and equity as well. Um, so I think this is where there's a really interesting opportunity for, for businesses um, and universities to both collaborate here, um, but it's a significant chunk of funding. It's a new program, um, and de depending on the type of, of activity, uh, some of this is 100% reimbursed. Michael, did we miss something in, in the differences? Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, no, Kim's uh, explained very well. I think, yeah, there's definitely a, a push, more of a push towards uh, innovation. Uh, SME engagement, business engagement. Um, I think there's a recognition that Europe uh, does very, very well in when it comes to excellent research, uh, publications, citations, you know, globally competitive, but not very good at actually translating those researches, those research into uh, innovations. Um, and I think, um, as Kim mentioned, we've had this European Research Council just now been around for I think about 10 years and it's been it's really been an excellent gold standard for world leading researchers uh, globally and uh, I think now the Commission and the European Union want to uh, say okay we've done uh, we've done really well on the ERC we now should really try to elevate this similar uh, type of uh, council on, on the innovation front and so this is a brand new a brand new uh, council, a uh, brand new initiative, a very exciting one, lots of opportunities uh, for, for businesses and especially uh, small to medium-sized enterprises. Mm -hmm. um, this, this leads me to my next question. I mean, when I, when I remember the old European programs, it, I always had the feeling it's about research mostly. And now you mention uh, SMEs and um, that there are a lot of lot more opportunities for for businesses and for early stage development companies. Can you elaborate a little bit more on on this? What's what's really in the mm -hmm. this new program for these uh, entities? Yeah, I mean, if you looked at the types of projects that were funded uh, ten years ago, five ten years ago, under the same 
similar or previous programs. Uh, they were very much, they were typically early stage uh, research projects, low, quite low level TRLs. Mm. And I think they're very good at creating knowledge, uh, IP, um, but actually not very good then at taking those TRLs uh, after the project has finished up the notches that are needed in order for it to translate it into innovation and then into commercial outputs, exploitation outputs. Um, So the Commission and the EU have changed the really the inception point for most of the projects that are now funded, apart from the the European Research Council funding, uh, which Kimberly mentioned, whereby most of it's now people uh, say uh, refer to it as a, a step in a step a couple of steps to the right <laughs> in terms of the TRL uh, uh, scales and I think with horizon 2020 it had moved a couple of notches to the right and I think with horizon uh, Europe it's uh, another it appears to be another even another couple of notches uh, to the right and I think when we look at the types of uh, projects that are being funded um, what the the EU are now looking at uh, key stakeholders that would be involved in these types of networks and uh, I've noticed that in the key stakeholder lists for Horizon Europe they now are suggest or require for projects that are relevant to have commercial and financial stakeholders involved in in the consortium so access to private finance um, investors end users and so they really want to see that projects that are being funded are not just going to be, deliver excellent knowledge but also there is a uh, an ambition and a roadmap to uh, take uh, what, what the knowledge that's been created in the project to to market, so to speak. And uh, I think most of the funding instruments that you see under Horizon Europe, apart from the ERC, have uh, very much have this focus. And when you're looking at impact, uh, exploitation impact, which is you know going to market effectively for most of the projects, you have to demonstrate a convincing uh, story around that and be able to implement it once funded. And I guess. It makes sense, really, from an EU's perspective and also, for, I guess, from the taxpayer's perspective. You want to see more uh, impactful projects, you know, uh, being delivered, not just excellent research leading to great knowledge creation, but we also want to see innovations which will be leading to, you know, global uh, societal uh, impacts as well. That's that's an interesting point that you mentioned that we are moving more uh, <laughs> jump to the right and not to the left like in the mm-hmm. Rooney Horror Show. So uh, we're moving <laughs> up the we're moving up the TRL levels, and that means if I understood you right that um, the key success factors are not so much patents and publications. Um, they are more focused now on the potential of commercialization. Is that is this a, a correct understanding that they got? Yeah, so I think so. Typically speaking, they just a lot of research has been funded previous years that have created outstanding, you know, knowledge generation mm-hmm. and IP. And uh, I think it's fair to say that you know the, a lot of those projects haven't really gone forward in terms of translation. And I think the, the main reason for one of the main reasons for that is because the inception point for funding initially was perhaps too low. So what the commission are doing now is you know, looking to fund projects at higher levels of TRL, 
um, with a view that by the end of the project, you'll be closer to market and then kind of ready to translate your project into hopefully a, a commercial um, commercial output or an, an exploitable output. Yeah, I mean, this is this is I think the this is the mindset uh, thing. If you, um, I mean, if if you organize projects with with pure researchers, they of course bring a science research mindset to the table. And uh, when we also involve companies that know how to translate science into products, uh, they also add mm -hmm. their mindsets. Uh, when they when they are allowed to come to the table in the past, they very often realize that uh, researchers, especially when they are funded for doing research, uh, don't have uh, deep pockets to involve early on um, the the development mindset. Does the mm -hmm. change with the Horizon Europe program also budget wise, so that you can really budget uh, a position into a project that to say, okay, we need this company. They know very well how to how to translate the research into products, but they need uh, also a chunk of budget because they also have HR to pay and they also have the travel expenses to cover. Uh, is this better Is this better covered in this new Horizon Euro program than it was in the Horizon 2020 program? Yes, mm -hmm. I, I would say I would say it is. I mean, that, that'll be a big part of, of the success. And, and there is this, this push for what the commission is calling, you know, or how it's described is, is impact and how to achieve that. And I think it's very much recognized that that we're stronger together, industry and the research side. So, um, and I think a lot of what, you know, Michael and I are doing both in sort of our, you know, respective organizations is, is, is trying to support that from an earlier stage. So the earlier that we can, can connect these type of actors and plan it in a proposal, um, the better it is set up for the implementation and then to enable that impact. So very much sort of, you know, trying to help that engagement from, from really early on and, and set that funding up so that there is funding in the project for, for those types of actors. Yeah, I think this is very important. I, I saw very often that there is a, a gap between the development world and uh, the scientific research world and nobody really uh, wants to close this. I like the term value of death. So it's it, it, it's there. I mean, only a few survive it, and uh, as long as you are not an ultra runner, it's uh, very difficult to run a bad weather marathon. Um, mm -hmm. But bringing a sufficient amount of funding into this uh, area might help. When we look at the programs, um, I mean, many people have ideas. Um, is one person basically enough to start uh, a Horizon project, or? Does it need a little bit more? How are the conditions? Shall I start? Um, I, I, one person is enough to get the ball rolling. Um, so I think that's what it takes is somebody with an idea. So if, you know, when someone sees a call that meets their area of expertise, um, if we look at the collaborative bids or even the European Innovation Council calls, they're going to be, the calls are very, very large. They're interdisciplinary. Um, they, in many cases, they can also be international beyond the scope of Europe cross-sector with this business research third sector. So um, it takes an idea to get things rolling um, and then you need to, uh, to bring in a number of different uh, partners and expertise, some of which might not be in your usual network. So it's something my team and I help with as well. Um, and, and for companies, because of the complexity um, that there is with uh, leading and, and overseeing the coordination of a collaborative project, um, connecting with a research organization that has an existing infrastructure, maybe to lead some of them if it fits, uh, is, is a good way also to, to explore these. 
and I'm sure Michael has more to add. Yeah, I think this would be this would be Michael, a few one one word. I think this would be very interesting. I see also that we um, have uh, in the audience people from the United States, Canada, uh, mm -hmm. who run companies there, who also have funds there, and we also have them uh, in the audience of the podcast. Um, I mean, Horizon is a big, big program. There's a lot of money there, and um, to find definitions which projects might be applicable, the internet is a great thing. But at the end of the day, also as Kimberly mentioned, and we also discussed in the podcast last year, in the end of the day, it needs more companies that are coming together and more universities. Um, when we look at Europe, uh, it's, yeah, different countries, different languages, different jurisdictions, different currencies. Uh, is there an organization like yours uh, set up to, to, to close that gap so that you can really, uh, let's say, have less problems in getting connected with different universities? I mean, Kimberly, sorry for saying that, but when I talk to you, you represent UCL. Uh, of course, you have to represent UCL, but maybe we need also researchers from other universities. And well, and so, so do we. So we go, we also <laughs> connect with Proud Helix to, to make those yeah. connections. But I, but I think the majority of the time of your team is uh, dedicated to the UCL and not to create connections for other organizations <laughs> to other universities. And the question I have to you, Michael, uh, what is the role of your organization in that field when it comes to connecting uh, across Europe? Mm -hmm. Sure. So uh, we do that across Europe and our ambition, we've started to do it so globally as well. Um, but uh, our main uh, membership base is, is in Europe and the associated countries uh, around Europe. But what our role is really to try and make it, so just going back to one of the points that we were saying previously with Kim, you know, I think one of the big factors for most of the part of Horizon funding is is collaboration. And the the starting point is for most of the funding instruments is international collaboration. And quite often you'll need to collaborate with organizations that are from different sectors, universities and businesses, but also different disciplines as well, working at different TRLs. And even that mixture, even that com uh, combination, even if you're one university in London, for example, and you're just building that project in and around London with a collaborative project in and around London or in the UK, even doing that composition is quite tricky, but you'll probably be able to, to combine it because of your local and regional contacts. But when you have to do that on a European or a global basis, it becomes much more tricky and it also becomes even more riskier as well because if you connect with an organization or with a person or business and that collaboration does not work out, um, then it can, you know, what it takes is one partner or one bad relationship in a project to effectively kill a project. Uh, so what we try and do at Crowd Helix is to uh, to reach out and connect with the right types of organizations who are, are, are uh, successful or have the ambition to be successful in this space. And then we try to profile them um, in the most appropriate way on our platform and then use our technology at Crowd Helix and our facilitation work to try to create partnerships that will be meaningful uh, based on hopefully 
surrounded by uh, trust as well, and hopefully to create a value, uh, not just for that initial contact, but hopefully beyond that contact to lead to future collaborations as well. And I think it's, if you're a university in London like QCL, you're one of the top universities in the world, uh, you're a big name. You, you're, you know, if you want to do biomedicine research, one of the best in the world, you, you can go to UCL and you know that you're going to be, it's okay. You're, you're going to, they're, they're, they're trusted, they're outstanding um, and fairly, well, very visible. But if you're trying to do a similar collaboration with a small company um, in another part of Europe or even a less well-known university or, or a new research centre um, in Europe or even it becomes even more trickier when you go outside Europe, you know, global parts, you know, China, Africa, US, you know, it becomes much, much more trickier. And I think that's the challenge that collab uh, people have when they're building networks is to uh, be able to sort of build partnerships that are international and global uh, that that meet the requirements of the EU, you know, with it being multi-sectoral, at different regions, different TRL levels, and then for it all to kind of work in in, in the best possible way, because obviously these product, these uh, funded instruments are super competitive. So you have to have the really. It's not just about having the best idea. You also have to have the best proposal and you know the best team then to deliver the project in order for it to be a, a real success after the project is funded. And I don't think the funding. You know, a lot of people see the funding as the as the as the success, and I and I would challenge people to say actually no it's the investment that will hopefully then lead to the success because the success should be what comes after the project you know the impact the post-project impacts and if you don't have the right team uh which is a global team that are all pointed in the right direction and um you know have a fantastic understanding and all, all know what they need to be doing then it's going to be very very difficult to deliver those uh those impacts which are you know very very tough even if you're doing it as a single organization so what we try and do at crowd helix is really profile organizations and people to to better connect make it more easier uh, for them to do collaboration uh, through technology and um and then obviously trying to make organizations especially smes uh, more visible in a, in a global uh, global marketplace that's that's a very interesting success factors uh you you mentioned it at the beginning and uh now you mentioned a few again maybe we dive, dive a little bit deeper into what makes a horizon program successful kimberly what's your opinion uh, so it'll be very much uh, for a, a bid to be successful, it'll be very much uh, to start with the idea, something novel, uh, groundbreaking, um, quite a, not in every case, but quite often it's not a, a short uh, jump, it is a, a bigger stage development. Um, it's very much your team. Um, so just working with, um, ideally connecting with the best in that specific area, wherever they're based. And, um, and including uh, different types of stakeholders as well to look at that longer term uh, picture and, and what's gonna come after the end of the project and how, how are you gonna not only complete the project successfully, but looking at and bringing the right actors in at how you're going to achieve that post-project success and impact. Um, and so those are, I would say, are some of the, the key, key areas uh, as well. And actually I, I should mention in, in Horizon Europe, the geographical coverage um it wasn't um it wasn't necessarily a specific criteria the last seven years 
uh, it is coming back as a more important criteria. Um, so that geographical coverage of who you're working with uh, across Europe um, to have a spread. Um, so it's not just focused in, in one area of Europe will also be important to be successful. I like the point that you mentioned both. The, I mean, maybe the project term is not the right one. When I think about the project, it's uh, it has a beginning, it has an end, and that's it. People then uh, run off to different projects, other projects. Yeah. When I hear you both now speaking, I get the impression that uh, more and more the European Union moves away from this uh, a project understanding that it's a... Uh, it's a collaboration that is a beginning and there's an end and is more focusing on moving the end point towards the market and say, okay, let's build a innovation network uh, across companies for a specific topic that really can take this, what started as a project and after the project is finished, still stick together and move that forward on a global scale. Uh, is this impression right or are we still in this uh, in this project world where we can say, okay, two years and we are done and then we can uh, okay. can move on and uh, do something else? Yeah. I think that that's, yeah, I think that's how it used to be a bit like, and there is uh, no disrespect to, to researchers out there, but there is a tendency for the university sector to, to see it quite, sometimes like that, like it's research funding to do research to publications and, um, you know, might create some nice IP and, and that's kind of, that's it. Whereas I think, you know, with the companies, you know, they're, they're less interested in that. They want to go to market and, you know, create an innovation and, you know, have an economic and social impact. And I think that's why when we're looking at the projects now that are getting funded, there's much more focus on that side. Um, on the you know the post project impact exploitation, and I think if the you know you're going in projects that are doing early stage research where there's you know just focusing on publications and things like that where it's just seen as a you know a two or three four year project, then chances are you probably won't be funded. They have to be the, pro the projects in order to be funded need to be super ambitious, you know have a have a big impact uh, societal global ideally impact and help to contribute towards Europe's position in in the world really and you know it's help to maintain its competitive competitiveness globally and um, I think there is and it's a weird dynamic really because you think you've, you've got these kind of two opposites in a way you know the, the university approach the research typical researcher I mean I'm stereotyping here and you have the the business approach you know more market focused profit driven, you know, uh, you know, wanting to develop products and services, but you need both of them together <laughs> in order to kind of combine the the optimum project in order to be successful in Horizon. And I think that's the really that's the sweet spot. And it's quite it's a challenge, but also obviously an opportunity as well. I think if you get that right with the with the right types of partners, then it really does help to contribute towards your chances of success. Yeah, I, I completely agree with Michael, and I, you know, and I, exactly that this is an opportunity. I, I think the direction that the funding is going is allowing us to really innovate how we collaborate between industry and research, and 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 become sort of successful uh, successful out of these projects. And um, there are new mechanisms. So for previously funded European Research Council, those can actually then go into the European Innovation Council 
you could look to actually, um, if you've done already a proof of concept on this really novel blue skies research, uh, you've got deep tech stuff, you can take this into the European Innovation Council. And, you know, universities like ours would be looking then for businesses to work with and taking this to the next stage. And I think that's one of the reasons I'm so interested um, for, for our organization, the European Innovation Council, where it might not be this obvious first place for researchers to look. Um, actually, it, it's bridging that valley of death. Of, it's these longer term um, research developments. And um, this is an opportunity uh, to continue that, that funding stream to get it to the next stage and connect with companies that will be working in similar areas where this is going to maybe match to um, core business um, expertise and activities. Something else that's interesting in that program is that they are, it appears that there's going to be some uh, opportunity for small grants that, that can help fund you after, say, like 50,000 euros after the end of the project to help with that. maybe some of those commercialization plans, things that you don't get funded at the time in the grant because you're not quite there yet, but there are going to be opportunities to fund that after. So in a way, I think it's, there's still a lot of opportunity for those, you know, early stage research um, to enable those publications, but also so many more opportunities now for us to work and and um, work together and and figure out the the right way uh, or the successful way, which I think is it's a case by case basis on the industry you're in, the development you're working on, um, but how can we innovate? How we collaborate? Now you mentioned um, short term and long haul uh, development work usually is uh, a very, very long game. When I look at the successful companies on the market, uh, Elon Musk, Tesla, uh, it's a couple of years and decades to really move uh, a concept uh, from a proof of concept uh, up to the market. Um, also, when I think of the innovations of, of Apple, uh, how long the research, or when I look more into the pharma industry, for example, BioNTech, uh, we now hear, okay, in one year they have developed the vaccine, but the basis uh, of this one year development, which can be run as a project basically, uh, dates back at least to 2008 and earlier when I look on the on the research side. So we're talking about two to three, three decades. And uh, it's good to hear that Horizon Europe is more set up to foster that program thinking and the long-term thinking and also starting already in early stages of research to initiate uh, uh, these collaborations that pick up then the technology, bring it into companies and help those companies also to grow and thrive. And uh, then in the value chain, go to the next step. For example, pharma industry, I mean, BioNTech uh, licensed their innovation then to Pfizer, who brought it to the patients. And it's really good to see that we are starting to close the value chains and not so much focus on, on, on projects. But when I think now to the starting point, I mean, we can all talk long about visions, but we have to get started somewhere. And uh, if somebody in the audience now has the idea and says, okay, uh, I want to apply for a Horizon program, where should I start? What should I do? So, so uh, <laughs> sorry, you go, Kim. Oh, uh, well, I was going to say a, a really good starting point, I think, is to reach out to your national contact points. So every country has a has contact points with different thematic areas for European funding. They'd be able to give you some initial advice. They host events, information sessions. Those are networking opportunities as well. Um, but I also um, 
I also think it would be, it's worthwhile connecting with your local research organizations that are nearby um, because that likely they'll have a lot of experience. Um, so, or even ourselves. So I, I'm always keen to connect with businesses um, just because we've got sort of, we've got a team of 15 that are specializing in understanding the program. So we can usually just help uh, direct you immediately or, you know, I think working with organizations like Crowd Helix, and I might pass it over to Michael now. Sure. So, um, yeah, it's tricky because it's such a big program. You've got you know, 100 billion euros of funding and hundreds of funding opportunities, probably thousands of funding opportunities and instruments. So it's like, where do I go? What do I, where do I start? And I think what Kim said is, is absolutely right. I think your national or regional experts uh, who specialize in this uh, would be able to advise um, if you have an idea that you want to map that to a potential opportunity, they will be able to help you do that. Or your research organization, if you're from a university or uh, their support office, should be able to help you. Um, if you're a small business and you want to get involved in the big projects, uh, my advice, typically speaking, is, is is to try and participate to begin with as a partner. Uh, I would advise against coordinating these projects to begin with unless you're really committed to the bid and you you fully understand what what's going to what it involves because it's a huge amount of work for any companies especially if you're doing it for the first time but i think without um you know the the, the pitch here i mean the the sale for for crowd helix but organizations like crowd helix and there are other types of platforms like that can help to profile organizations small businesses and help to connect them to emerging networks that are that are, that are evolving in response to these future calls and i think that's the that's the easy way in i think because it's much easier partnering in, in a project. If you're an SME and you're, you know, doing a, providing some form of demonstration or validation or technology development, but it's focused on what you what you do as a key key competence in your business. And you know, you could maybe team up with an organisation like UCL that could, may may want to coordinate and do a lot of the heavy lifting in the proposal development and project management. And that's a great way to get involved to begin with and then get to understand the program, the expectations, what success looks like, get to build your own network in that space as well with, or, you know, with, with, with winning partners and hopefully get introduced to other winning consortiums. And then that can lead to future collaborations uh, in that space uh, in the future, hopefully. This would, this, um... Well, there was one key point that you mentioned. Uh, it's proposal development. Let's let's talk a little bit about expect uh, expectations. What proposal development means? Uh, I mean, is it is it is it a one pager that you sit down and uh, that you write uh, an outline of your idea? You send it to your national contact point, and uh, a week later you have ten million or hundred million on your bank account. Uh, what 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 is, it <laughs> what is it proposal in terms of uh, horizon? <laughs> Uh, Michael, I wish it was that easy. Is it, uh, it's not easy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's tough. And uh, I think part of our jobs, people who are, are really good at it, I mean, part of the jobs is also to try and to kind of act as a professional filter, really, for organizations. You know, we're not here to kind of say everyone should apply. You know, this is open for everyone. It's not. It's probably open for like, you know, the one or two percent out there, really, because it's a, it's, it's often referred to as the champions league of of research and innovation you know it's the elite of the elite 
uh, in Europe. So you have to be really people and organizations at the top of your game doing really front end, cutting edge uh, research and innovation. And I think doing, uh, if your people have an outstanding idea, um, really cutting edge, um, if you're going in as a company direct, like to the European Innovation Council, I would suggest working with uh, experts who specialize in doing the writing for that. Because if you're a company, um, especially if you're a small company, you don't want to spend, you know, four months of your top or five months in preparing the proposal, which will just take you all away from your core business. You really want to work with an organization that will be able to maybe do 80, 90% of the heavy lifting, but you're given the intellectual input to the project uh, proposal, which the consultant will be able to craft for you. And there are some really credible ones out there who do this for like with brilliant business models, some are no win, no fee. And these are the, that's the route that I would, I would go in at. And um, if you're going through net for, uh, as part of a network based approach for, for consortium projects, I would recommend teaming up with organizations like UCL and other leading research centers who, who really have, uh, you know, a lead in track record in the space and know what they're doing and can do a lot of the so-called heavy lifting because it, it is a lot of work. I mean, the proposal template, now has been reduced from 70 pages under the last frame-up program to now 45 pages, but that's still 45 pages. I mean, it's, it's a, they're saying it's a simplification at the commission and it's still a huge amount of work. And some of these projects can involve, you know, 10, 20, 30 partners and just pulling that together logistically is a huge amount of work. So unless you're experienced and have the know-how to do it, I wouldn't recommend doing this uh, for the first time on your own, I would definitely recommend doing it with organisations and people like Kimberly and her office who, who are really specialists in this area. I think Michael covered that that quite well. These are these are significant, um, you know, in terms of page numbers that are prepared, uh, coordination with all of these different countries, um, and typically that process of. Um, once you've got an, a, a, a small consortium started, that process can take sort of a range of, of three, four months or longer. And I, I think it's um, just another point, really. I think if you're, particularly if you're a business, I wouldn't look at Horizon funding as a way to be your primary focus for um, investment for your business. It, it really has to be like a complementary part of what you're doing. I think if you're going into it as a entirely focused on just winning this and this is all you're going to be doing and, and, and you know, if you don't get the grant, then, you know, your business isn't going to survive or it's going to go backwards, then it wouldn't be for you. I don't think it has to be, you know, are you doing some form of innovation, cutting edge innovation? Is the call aligned really well with what you're doing already? So that if you do get awarded the project, just by implementing the project, it's going to be perfectly aligned with what you're doing as a business. The worst case scenario is when people chase opportunities uh, and chase it just for the money, and then they get funded these big projects and get and then, and then need to implement these projects that are actually not aligned with their core business. And then what happens in after three or four years is you've then delivered this project and you've you've done well on the project delivery, but you might not have any real commercial outputs. And then you've been sidetracked away from what you're meant to be doing as your core business. And actually you end up with a, a double negative. So any kind of, um, especially if you're a business, if you're going for this type of funding, it really has to be complementary to your core activities. That, that's a really good point. So it's uh, it's not a substitute for investors. And no, I, 
I wrote down some some key points that I think are crucial. Maybe we can can sum it up a little. So the first key term that I picked up in the last minutes was uh, cutting edge technology. So. If I had the glorious idea, I mean, I have many glorious ideas, but one might be uh, that in 2021, I want to sell books over the internet and think uh, it would be <laughs> a, a great innovation to the world to replace Amazon and uh, take up the challenge and uh, go to the UCL and say, let's build it together. Um, what would be your reaction when they say this is cutting edge technology? <laughs> It's quite funny, actually, because um, in my experience, the challenge that you have is when you speak to a lot of people, most people who work in research and innovation is that most people tend to believe that their idea is cutting edge and innovative. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then the biggest challenge is trying then to kind of uh, explain in a diplomatic way that, that it may not be and it may certainly not be aligned with what you would be expected to submit to be successful with Horizon funding. So I think... Um, uh, I think the best way to, to kind of get an understanding of what success looks like and whether a, a, a person's idea is is appropriate is to have a look at what projects have been funded. Uh, you can have a look on uh, the European uh, Cordis website and Kimberly will be able to provide information on this from UCL's perspective as well. But, you know, a lot of this data is open data. And if it's, you know, if you're doing a proposal in a specific area, you can type it in, you type in Cordis, C-O-R-D-I-S, and then portal, and then type in, uh, you can go into that portal and then type in the thematic area that you're in and the idea, and it would then generate the projects that have been funded so far in that space. And I think that's a good starting point, and it'll give you a feel for what projects are being funded and whether your idea or concept is um, in that area. And if people feel that it is still, then and it's worth having a conversation with people like Kimberly and her team who, who may be able to help to take it to the next level. Then the second point that I got from what you said is uh, besides this uh, cutting edge technology, where you can reach out to Kimberly and Michael and uh, to, to find out a little bit more what cutting edge technology in the terms of the European Union is. The second point was uh, alignment with the core business and not no substitute for funding. So whenever I think gene editing, for example, it's one of the, the technologies that Kathy Wood from ARC Funds thinks that will shape our future. Um, when something evolves, or would that be an appropriate approach to when something evolves out of a research organization or company like uh, uh, CRISPR technology in the United States to say, okay, we made this uh, innovation and we're in the process of seeing that there is a, an additional potential, but it's so early that we really don't find funding for it. Uh, would, it that, would such an idea in, in the terms of gene editing uh, that evolves out of the company something that can be pitched to the European Union? Um, yeah, it could be. Uh, so you'd either have to, if you're applying as a business direct, you could apply to the European Innovation Council um, as a business. Um, if you're going to go in as a in for a project like a consortium, network-based project, um, then you would have to align it with uh, what we call a, um, a call for proposal. So these are policy-driven tenders, basically. Uh, ranging across all the, the main sort of societal and industrial leadership um, pillars, you know, health, energy, climate, and in, in each program you will have calls, and you may have one for health and so gene editing, for example. And then if there is a call in there on that and it aligns with your idea, then 
that's a great opportunity potentially and then you may be able to form a, a network around that when uh thanks michael when i when i it was i think 15 years ago no, 14 years ago uh, there was also the idea to to apply for a european union uh grant and you mentioned a uh, proper proposal management before so the idea back then was uh yeah we we hire uh, an intern and uh, she or he depending on who comes uh 25 years old, no experience, uh, should write a proposal and we are fine with that. Uh, is that the right approach or uh, are there, uh, should there be more emphasis on getting really an organization into the application process already who understands how this works in the European Union? How complex is this proposal management? Is this really the third success factor? I, I would recommend, I mean, as Michael mentioned, particularly for SMEs and maybe that are looking at the European Innovation Council, um, there are some experts that do um, help write these and improve the chances of success. In terms of this sort of pillar two and the uh, research innovation um, and clusters funding around global challenges, um, universities have a lot of expertise. So we developed, for example, but at the start of Horizon 2020, a proposal a development uh, service just internally, even to help our own academics lead. And then it's something that, that we've developed to offer out um, when we're partnering and there's other leads. So we partner with other EU offices to combine expertise um, to support um, the proposal development from an early stage. And so, you know, working with a research organization with a track record um, and, and an academic too. So typically, um, uh, say for the for what's called the clusters, the pillar two, um, those that are, would be leading would be uh, need to be quite experienced. Um, it isn't something um, that would be jumping. I wouldn't advise jumping into writing a bid um, without, without much experience. Um, at least having partnered uh, in these types. So definitely encourage working with um, with experienced uh, researchers, with their teams, um, and then in terms of companies as well for the for SME support, the, there's consultants out there as well. And uh, the fourth point that I noted down was that it really is a team game. So it's not one organization that uh, applies for a grant. It really means that more organizations, ideally leading research organizations from Europe, collaborate to move the technology forward. Is that the right understanding that they got? Yeah, I would say it's very much a, a very much a team effort because of of the complexity of the challenges that we're addressing. So it's novel technologies to address, you know, uh, major health ch challenges, both communicable and non-communicable diseases. Um, we've got the climate uh, challenges, um, you know, energy and the impact on cities. So it's, um, I think, given the scale of the challenges, that's another aspect of why it does need to be very much team-focused, international, um, cross-sector. So these were, in my opinion, the, the four most important points. Um, I think everybody uh, who thinks he's uh, the elite of the elite uh, should should really should really go for that. It uh, it can help a lot. So I saw successful projects uh, really moving forward thanks to the to this program that otherwise wouldn't have gotten funding early on and uh, became a success later on. 
Um, when we look a little bit in the future, and um, I mean, Kathy Woods with her ARC funds um, has these reports that she issues annually, it's Picadier's report, um, and there they, her research team elaborates uh, what happens in the next 10 years. And uh, let's take up a similar perspective when we look back from 2030, and um, the Horizon Europe program will be over most likely by then, uh, but the innovation hopefully not. Uh, what changes do you think um, will we see in 2030 that happened because of the Horizon Europe program? Well, uh, maybe maybe I'll start and, and um, optimistically, and I think what we haven't mentioned yet is this concept of missions, a mission-oriented approach. And this is something that that's new in Horizon Europe as well. So the program has five, you know, key missions or objectives that everything else will be feeding into, and and really, its majority is climate and health. So they've got cancer. Uh, the cancer mission, adaption to climate change, um, as well as societal transformation. This is a mission. There's a mission for healthy oceans, seas, and inland waters. There's a mission on climate neutral and smart cities and soil and health. So I, those are these five missions that, that is the plan that Horizon Europe, all of the activities and the clusters and the innovation that these are going to contribute, um, sort of like the, you know, the space mission, um, that's where this idea comes from. And so, you know, I would hope that at the end of the program, or and I'm optimistic that, that these activities will will progress, um, you know, in addressing these missions. Um, and, and a lot of the program is, is really around the green transition and the digital transition. Um, so that's, you know, improving environmental um, environment around Europe and addressing these uh, climate goals, as well as the health, um, you know, of citizens across Europe and also, you know, increasing uh, jobs and economic growth. So that's something that, you know, these are the ambitions of the program and, and what I, you know, I'm optimistic that, that we'll achieve. Michael, what changes uh, do you see uh, coming into reality in the next 10 years because of Horizon Europe? I think there'll be a an, in, an increased move to open access. So the commission is very keen on making available research uh, to the public uh, and, and open. And this is uh, is, is becoming obviously research uh, and publishers uh, that domain area has been unchanged uh, for decades. And this is a work in transition and the commission will be keen to see this um, step change happen and horizon europe is very much focused on that and i think by the end of horizon europe we will see hopefully a, a different mindset to uh, open access uh, for research results that are, that, are, that are funded and also for scientific publications and access to research excellent research that quite often sits inaccessible in in, in universities um, and then I think the second thing is a, a, just a, a, a real uh, acceleration towards technology um, and, you know, robotics, AI, big data, and uh, I can see all these uh, you know, deep tech uh, underlying 
uh, drivers really really feeding into all these big themed areas that, that Kimberly mentioned your health and you know, climate and the green transition and really um, completely changing the way that we work and, and collaborate both logistically operationally but also in the types of projects that we are you know we are delivering and I think it will you know we've seen a, a real step change in the projects that are funded now compared to 10 years ago and I think that will that, that will continue to accelerate even further and faster uh, by the time 2030 comes comes around. Kimberly you, you seem to, to want to add something. <laughs> No, I was just I was thinking, and I and I just think as Michael mentioned on on collaborations, you know, I I hope that we do figure out and come up with new ways to successfully collaborate between these different actors of universities of investors, because I think I think there's also it's it's these technologies and the development that's coming is um, is something that'll be interesting for investors to keep an eye on and, and, and building those links as well. So how government, how universities, how businesses, how we all come together and we've got the next seven, 10 years and this, and this funding in the next seven years to, um, to come up with, um, you know, new ways of, of, of working together and, and creating this type of impact. Yeah, I agree to that. I mean, um, I think, um, the only organizations that um, can solve the world's problems that we have currently are uh, SMEs and research organizations and uh, with the support of investor and the government and they hope we, um, we bring the right parties together. I mean, the, the world is dynamic and the changes are so quick that I don't think any human being alone can make the right decisions alone. So, uh, helping people and giving them money to to start working on solving problems and uh, if they really hit the right nail on the head uh, support them further to move forward but drop the other projects that are working in the wrong direction um, when we really see that kind of flexibility also coming to Europe which I, I think we are not really there yet in, in, in this market thinking uh, but then I think I see it prosperous so I see it moving forward. Kimberly, Michael, do you do, did we miss anything in this episode? Um, I think we covered quite a lot of ground from my side, and uh, seems to I don't have any anything to admire. I, I think from my side too. I just um, what what occurred to me in our discussion about what what does novel look like in Horizon Twenty? Well, sorry, Horizon Europe. Um, still getting used to the the change <laughs> name. Um, <laughs> what what novel uh, reminded me that we had a UCL researcher join your podcast, one that's worked with both Cloud Helix um, on a recent project uh, that's been led by UCL um, uh, Professor uh, Sri Shiva Neenam. And um, and I, I might not have pronounced his name correctly, but he's fantastic research UCL that did an episode with you on his um, haptics technology. And this yeah. is something that was uh, that sort of deep, that deep tech novelty that got, uh, was initially funded under the excellent science pillar. And so um, I, I think that's, you know, somewhere else on, on your podcast as well to hear what is what some of the novelty looks like. Yeah, I like this. I like this episode with him a lot. Uh, it's a little bit brainstorming towards science fiction. Yes. Touchable holograms. It's this uh, holodeck from Star Trek <laughs> coming to life. <laughs> yeah, you, I mean, especially in the times of uh, 
that we have right now where everybody's locked up at home still in Austria. It would be a nice thing if you have a room like um, enterprise on enterprise. So uh, not a decade, a room would be enough that you can travel anywhere in the world uh, via uh, holograms and you can touch it and feel it and you can dive into the water. And I think he's uh, doing great work into that direction. It's, it's amazing that uh, what already is there, what we can do. Kimberly, Michael, uh, many thanks for, for sharing your time and sharing your insights. I will put your contact information in the description of the podcast. And um, everybody in the audience and who listens to the episode later on, I think, uh, can feel free to click on your LinkedIn profiles, drop your message, and uh, you can take it up from there. Thank you very much for, for today, for, for, for sharing your insights. Thank you thanks, very much, Christina. Kurt. Thank you. Have a great day. Bye. You too. Thank yeah. you. Cheers. All the best. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. Please, please share the podcast and make sure you've subscribed. Have a great day. Mm -hmm.